So Aaron actually asked me to give a brief introduction of myself, and clearly I will tell you my name. My name is Bep Reeves, and then the first thing I will say is that I am obviously always clearly put together and on the ball. <laughs> I'm not, actually. Thank you for your grace. Uh, my name is Bep Reeves. I'm actually the family ministry pastor at The Bridge in Johnston. I'm here with my husband, Corbett. Uh, we live in Norwalk. We have two children. Um, Katie just got married. She's 21. She graduated from college and got married within a month in Tennessee. So that's been good and wonderful and exciting. And we're also glad that it's all done, <laughs> that the trips to Tennessee, we, we did it, didn't we? We did it. Uh, and we have a 20-year-old son named Will. Uh, if you ever frequent uh, Smoky Row downtown in Des Moines, he is our favorite barista who works there. Uh, so that's a little bit about us. Um, it's a privilege to be here with you today. I'm the family ministry pastor at The Bridge, and so uh, teaching and preaching isn't my normal gig on a, uh, the average Sunday, but it is always a privilege when I have the opportunity. So uh, before we enter into the Word, let's just uh, ask the Holy Spirit uh, to bless, bless His Word going forth, okay? So God, thank you uh, for these moments in time. God, thank you for this space uh, where we believe that your Holy Spirit is near and dear and present. That is by the power of your Holy Spirit that the word goes forth. Not because of us, but because of you. And so we say thank you. We say thank you, God. We love you, and in the name of Jesus, we all say amen. Amen. So we're going to dive in today uh, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 41. But before we actually dive in there, I thought it might be helpful just to give kind of a quick overview of what's happening in the book of Acts, because there's, there's a lot that's going on that leads us up to this kind of pinnacle point we're going to talk about today, okay? So we have the ascension of Jesus. Um, we have Pentecost, when God sends his Holy Spirit to us. There are Old Testament prophecies that are being fulfilled in the beginning of Acts. There are miracles being performed, miraculous signs being performed. People are being thrown in jail for this uh, newfound faith in Christ that they're preaching and they're teaching. Um, the apostles are winning over thousands of people to this new gospel message of Jesus, the way is what they would have called it. They would have called it the way, right? The way of Jesus. We see them in these first really eight and a half chapters. Uh, the focus is preaching to the masses. We see a lot of stories about preaching to the masses and winning over thousands of people to belief in Christ. And in chapter seven, we hear the story of a man named Stephen. Stephen is actually killed for his newfound faith in Christ. And from that event in chapter 7, it's going to push us into chapter 8, where we see the persecution of these newfound Christ followers heighten. It becomes really heightened. And I'm going to read you uh, chapter... Uh, 1 verse 8 and 8 verse 1, where we hear something about, it's called the scattering, okay? The apostles and these newfound uh, Christians, they're going to be scattered. So listen to these verses. 
uh, from chapter 1, verse 8. It says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, that's chapter 1, verse 8. Now let's fast forward eight chapters. And in chapter 8, verse 1, we see these words of Jesus being fulfilled through this scattering. 8 verse 1 says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, as I think about this scattering, I can't help but think about the fact that there are times in our lives when God uses hardship to move us to places we would otherwise never have gone. Can you, can you think of something in your life where, man, you really didn't like that in the moment, but looking back, you can see God moved you to a place where you would have never have experienced or gone. You would have never have seen the depth of his grace had that not happened. This is what happens for these newfound followers in Christ because they're pushed out, out of Jerusalem, and they're witnessing outside of that little city. This is how God is going to grow his church. It's really significant. So let me tell you about a time when I felt scattered and moved to a place that I would never have gone on my own. When I was 25, uh, I, I married my first husband when I was 23 years old, and a year and a half later, uh, he was diagnosed with a rare bone marrow failure. It's called aplastic anemia. Three in every one million people are diagnosed with it worldwide each year. And he had 11 months of chemo and radiation and a, you know, a stem cell transplant from a donor in Germany. And in 2008, God made his faith sight and he passed away. And I became a widow at the age of 25. Fast forward some time later, and I said, God, if you open a door for me to speak your name, I will walk through that door. And so, what does God do when we commit ourselves to those things? Truthfully, I don't even know if I meant that, <laughs> but God held me to it, right? So he opens a door. I find myself one evening as a young widow. I'm sitting at a table at an event with a whole bunch of people, and I'm sitting next to this young gal who's probably about my age, and we're swapping stories, you know, and it was very clear to me very quickly that she did not dig Christianity. She didn't, she didn't like any religion for that matter, right? And she said something to me, here's the open door. She said, how can you believe in God when he let your husband die? And it's like a movie in my head. How can you believe he's good? And I wish I could say that I was readied and prepared and that I said all the right things to witness to her that day, that night. But instead, I froze and I said, I, and I remember stammering, and I am typically not at a loss for words. True. <laughs> and I said, well, I just, I just do. I just do. And I knew in that moment, as she looked at me, 
that I actually made her believe less. I did nothing to inspire her faith in the Jesus that I know. I could see it on the look on her face, and I, um, and I remember feeling so very ashamed. <laughs> I wish, as I look back, I wish I would have been more readied and prepared for the witness that God gave me. And I, my hope is, is that as we walk through this today, that you might be sharpened, that you might also become more prepared for the witness that God has given you. We are all witnesses. We just need to be readied and prepared. So as I take a look at this scripture in chapter 8, verses 26 through 41, we are going to encounter a man named Philip, who is scattered because of this persecution that we read about. And Philip had been experiencing, like I said, great success preaching to the masses. But now God is going to slow us down a little bit, and we're going to see a different type of evangelism take place here. Okay? So let's read from Acts 8, verses 26 through 40, Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip to go to the chariot and stay near it. So immediately here, in verse 28, we're reading about a chariot. These are clearly two very different men, right? This Ethiopian official has power. He likely has money. He has a different socioeconomic status and cultural status than Philip does. But God tells Philip Go to this man. Go to this one man. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was like a sheep He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, 
but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. It might seem odd to some that after all this success that the apostles had been having preaching to the masses, that God would tell Philip to go to just this one man. I mean, wouldn't it be better to convert hundreds instead of just one? But God had a very special plan for this one Ethiopian man. These two very different men encounter each other. And here in this passage, we see another huge difference. One of those men knew the gospel of Christ and the other didn't. The Ethiopian man, he was clearly, he was seeking and he was searching. He was reading these, these Old Testament scriptures, right? And I think it's interesting that in every generation, whether you are riding in a chariot or whether you are sitting at a table with a young woman, like I was, people of every generation have had the same questions and the same longings and the same searching, right? When there is an absence in our soul, as believers, as witnesses of the gospel, we know that it is Jesus. It has always been Jesus that they are seeking. When I look to Philip, I see him being readied. I see him being prepared in this scripture. I, you know what I see in Philip? I see him being obedient. Obedient. Sometimes being obedient is one of the hardest things we can do. There is a lot of vulnerability attached to obedience, isn't there? And honestly, I'm going to be honest, it is way easier. Put, put, put yourself in this scenario. Is it easier for you, as it is for me, to preach to the masses? It's really actually a lot easier for me to talk to this whole group of you today than it would be to sit across from one person. It's almost like there's safety in numbers, and that one person could reject me or not like what I have to say. It's possible that there's going to be one of you in this group who might reject me and not like what I have to say, but I'm not going to hear it as quickly, right? Man, there's a lot of vulnerability in preaching to the one. And I think in this passage, we read in verse 35, Philip does something so very simple and it is not hard and it's not rocket science. And it literally tells us that he starts at the very chapter where this Ethiopian was at and it says he literally just preached the good news of the gospel. Word for word, Philip began with that very passage and told him the good 
news about Jesus. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound so simple? Until we're in the moment and you freeze like me because you're not ready and you're not prepared. So this Ethiopian believes, and he's baptized right then and there. Philip knew that this one human soul needed to know Jesus. Christian tradition tells us that this one human soul, this one Ethiopian man, was part of God's plan to fulfill Acts 1, verse 8. From Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria. Christian tradition tells us that this Ethiopian carried the gospel of Christ back to his homeland. And what's the end of Acts 1, verse 8? To the ends of the earth. You see, God's plan that day, that encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian was bigger than than actually just that one man. It was all for that one man, but it was also for the masses. If we care about the masses knowing Jesus, then we care about the one right now, right in front of us. Just like that Ethiopian just like that woman at the table, right? Some time ago, my husband's cousin, Philip, not to be confused with the biblical Philip, his name is really Philip, Philip Mahoney, told us a story about his grandparents. James Harding was his grandpa, and in 1933, he passed away from a really long illness. And his grandmother, Nell Harding, was left a widow with four little girls whose ages were seven, five, two, and six months old in the heart of the Great Depression, right? Nell and her daughters were practically destitute, except for a $250 life insurance policy that her husband had. The doctor knew without some long-term assistance, $250 wouldn't last long and the girls would likely end up in an orphanage. That would have been very, very likely. And so the doctor did something. He, he broke the rules a little bit. Now, I'm, not, I'm not advocating to break the law or anything, but I do think this is such a beautiful illustration of seeing the one that's right in front of you. The doctor wrote Nell a bill for $250. He helped Nell get on some long-term financial aid for widows, and Nell was able to keep her daughters. And then the doctor did something really amazing. When the time was right, He actually gave Nell back every penny of the $250 so that Nell could secure a home for them. 
And this woman bought a cold water flat, a three-story cold water flat. Has anybody ever heard of this? I hadn't. So in this day and age, a cold water flat was where there was only hot water on the bottom levels. And Nell and her daughters lived on that third floor without, cold, without warm water. And they rented out the two lower levels, which sustained them through the Great Depression. And, and you think about that, you fast forward. And now Philip is one of 29 grandchildren, right? There are numerous great-grandchildren and even great-great-grandchildren. All because one doctor saw this woman and said, in the name of Jesus, I can meet this need. And Nell raised her daughters to know Jesus. That legacy goes far beyond that one doctor and that one woman, right? Just like Philip saw the Ethiopian, Philip could have never have dreamed what that legacy would be for future generations of Christians. That doctor that day could have never have dreamed what Nell's legacy would be. And so I ask you today, who is the one? When I think back to that one woman sitting at the table, that young woman, I wish I would have been sharpened to have simply told the story of Jesus in my life. I wish I could have gone back to, let's just go back to Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. I wish I could have just told the simple story of Jesus in my life. Why, why do I believe in a good God? I believe in a good God because just like I watched my husband die, God watched his son die. All for me. It's really pretty simple. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. I believe in a good God because in the middle of my darkest days, I have cried out to a God who has brought me such hope. Even in my grief and my sorrow, he has given me hope for a new day. It's just the story of Jesus in my life. It's really pretty simple. I'm really glad I can say that now. And I hope, I believe the Holy Spirit is much bigger than I am and somewhere, someplace, that young woman heard about the story and the, the good God that I know. Isaiah 53 verse 8 says, 
who can speak of his descendants, the descendants of Jesus? People of God, who can speak of his descendants? You can. You can speak of his descendants because you are. You are the descendants of Jesus Christ. Who are called to witness and tell stories of a good God. Even in bad times. Even in the scattering of your life when he has moved you to a place that you would never have gone before. Why is God good to you? So, who is that one? Who is the Nell Harding that you're being called to meet needs for? Who is the woman at the table or the Ethiopian man who is seeking and searching to know the Jesus you know. Is it possible that just like the, the legacy of generations that the Ethiopian brought home the gospel to the the legacy of Nell Harding, is it possible that there is a greater legacy in your story that is yet to be told? I believe that's true. I believe that's true for me, and I believe that's true for you. Again, not because of us, but because God is good. And we serve a God who, when we say... (laughs) God, walk through that door. His Holy Spirit is going to open that door. Be readied. Be prepared. We serve a good God. Let's pray.